Welcome back to another episode of the Slick Pivot Sessions. I'm Liz Ward, the UK's first pivot coach and founder of Slick Pivot. And this is the podcast where we dig, delve and deconstruct the journeys of people who have pivoted their careers and businesses. I know it can feel rough when you're at a pivot point, so we'll be stripping back the sugar coating and uncovering the pitfalls and progress of our guests, unearthing some practical advice for those of you wanting to make a change. Join me as we crack the formula for making a successful pivot in your life or work. My hope is by sharing these stories, it sparks inspiration on how to design your work life for more happiness and growth, because I believe that life is too short to do work that doesn't make you happy. Today, I'm joined by Joe Sayers. Joe is a senior leader at the Royal Bank of Canada. I chatted to Joe about how he pivoted from a professional cricket career into the finance industry. After 12 years in the Yorkshire cricket team, Joe retired from sports before 30 and left his first passion to fulfil another side of him. We talk about what his professional cricket career taught him, the importance of understanding your why when it comes to work and how he successfully built his reputation in a completely new industry. This interview covers loads about focus, setting goals and being confident in your transferable skills. I love this conversation with Joe, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review and a star rating. Subscribers, written reviews and star ratings really help us grow this podcast, reach more people and bring you fantastic guests. Okay, here goes. Hi, Joe. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the Slip Pivot Sessions. Thanks for having me. I wanted to kind of dive into how you go from having a successful sports career into finance um, and what that and what that feels like. Often we see people pivoting out of the city and you've pivoted in. And so I think it'd be really interesting to explore that. I've seen your journey from afar over the years. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to us diving in. Super. Pleased to be here. Could you help us like rewind to the beginning? What was it like when you were younger and you had a feeling of you might have a career in sport? How did it all start? Well, I think, you know, professional sport's something that creeps upon you really because slowly but surely you go from from one level to the next level up and so on and so on and all of a sudden in my case, I was very lucky to have very supportive parents and, and a family around me that just allowed me to go and enjoy what I was doing. And, and that's the key with, with sport at a young age, that you just want to keep that sense of enjoyment and play as long as possible. When I say it creeps up on you, I, I, I honestly believe that if it's done well, that actually you're just playing something that you enjoy and and then all of a sudden you're, you're paying the bills with it. <laughs> so it, from, from that age of 13 onwards... The, the curve was a bit steeper and I was 16, I think, when I turned professional, signing a contract for Yorkshire. By that stage, put football to one side and decided that cricket was the right path for me. Because you were telling me earlier that you actually had a football opportunity and that football and cricket were both parts of your life. Mm. And there was kind of a pivot point in your teens where you had to choose. Yeah, that's right. So for me schoolwork and academia and that path was also an important part for me. Does football basically mean you couldn't go to school as much? Yes, yeah. And you couldn't study as much because of the commitment to the football teams? Right, exactly. Whereas cricket offered me the the opportunity to, you know, carry on to university and and before that all my school exams, but also, you know, follow the path of of a pro cricketer. 
Mm-hmm. And so you're being, you were being quite strategic at that point. Um, did you feel pressure at, at, at that teenage age tr- making that decision? Yeah, yeah, I did. I think a lot of that was, you know, down to my own, you know, personal circumstances and and you know sometimes success from an early age builds its own pressure of expectation and I think some of that was was self-imposed but yeah I think there was a there was a degree of 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 pressure for sure at that stage and a lot of a lot of plates to spin Mm, yeah I can imagine and so so you decided to go cricket and that turned into playing for Yorkshire traveling the world paying the mortgage whilst also going to university did, did those things happen together or was it after uni you started getting paid for cricket? so I, I turned professional when I was 16 I went away to to Oxford 17 from 17 to 20 I was combining a degree with being professional cricketer at Yorkshire so I essentially you know do the typical academic year at Oxford and then in the, after the the summer term come back and play professional season or second half of a professional season for Yorkshire and then and then you know repeat that from the, the next September onwards. So wow. for that for, for that for that period again, it was a a balancing act between getting my degree, but also you know keeping my cricket going, captaining the Oxford side for those three years, and then returning after Oxford at the age of twenty to be kind of fully fledged full time. Wow. <laughs> um, and and so what happened after that? Well, I, you know, I think to an extent, I felt like I'd got a bit of freedom if you like and and I could I could then just fully commit to my my sports career I got my degree done and and out the way and so you knew you had that in the can so it was kind of like you know I've got my degree yeah um, and now I can I can enjoy the cricket and I think you know that was at a time when the idea of of getting a a degree like that as well as managing a, a professional sporting career from a young age was it, it was becoming more popular, but it wasn't particularly common. I think professional sporting clubs were still uh, getting to grips with the idea of young uh, aspiring professionals going away to university, getting qualified and then coming back. And so um, you came back and then you went full, full-blown full Yorkshire cricket. Yep. And how long did that last? How was that period of time for you? Oh, it's fantastic. It's a, you know, I was very fortunate to live the life of a professional sportsman for, for those years and even though it obviously is a job at that level, it still didn't feel like a proper job, if you like. You know, mm. it's it's a very privileged existence. The money then isn't what the money is in sport now by any means. But at the same time, it was a very comfortable existence. And as you say, following the sun around the world, going to India, South Africa, Australia, you know, all around the world to, to play cricket and, you know, to be in the public eye performing you know, surrounded by some of the world's best players. It was a, an awesome time. You know, I feel very lucky to have gone through that. And I think, you know, looking back, it's a very formative time for me as well, learning what it means to be in a team and, and what it feels like when you're in a in a team of people that doesn't work and when communication breaks down and, and equally what it feels like to be in a team when you're going through a purple patch and you can't do any wrong and, and everything is just going extremely smoothly. You know, I played under some fantastic leaders, captains, some very poor ones, mm-hmm. some great players that were poor managers, some average players that were fantastic managers. So, you know, I think leadership and being part of a team is a very experiential thing. So, you know, I look back on those years now as being, you know, full of great experience that I can draw on 
now in a in a very different space yeah it's a perfect uh, i suppose you know when you're thinking about how teams work when there's a ball and you literally can drop it yeah. you know you can see where the communication's falling down and where mm. you know the vision isn't clear or the the groundwork hasn't been put in and right. so you can visually see that and i suppose now yeah. you can apply that to your corporate career i guess sport is um you know, it, 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 it's a condensed version of everyday life in a way. It just kind of highlights, it's a very brutal uh, industry because, you know, you you go to work, so to speak, one day and then the next day you open the paper and your, your name is there and your result is there for everybody to see. And mm -hmm. sometimes that results within your control, sometimes it isn't. And you have to ride the, the ups, of, ups and downs that, that, that come with that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you have to... You have to be in a in a group of people that that you trust and that you can communicate clearly with, under pressure, and kind of go through the, the tough times and the and the and the easier times that that come with it. So you can learn a, a great deal from that. Yeah, and I know obviously that your sporting career finished when you were how old were you? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. And so, what was what was that point in time like for you? Um, from you know coming out of university having this expectation of your career, really enjoying it, flying around the world, and then, mm. it, and then it coming to a close. What, what triggered that? Um, I think what triggered that was, well, it was very much my own decision making. It was very much my own thought process. I think from a young age, I always thought that I would know when the time was right to start thinking about the next chapter. And I didn't want to be a sports person who dragged out a career um even into its le even into the, the, the kind of the typical late stages of a sportsman's career without feeling that there was growth or a new opportunity or something that got me out of bed in the morning excited and at the same time I was aware of job marketplace in the industry that I wanted to move into which was finance at the time and cricket had been a fantastic period in my life and I wanted to keep the love of the game and to leave the restaurant slightly hungry in, in a way and I think that's a good a good adage to follow and I didn't want necessarily I didn't want cricket to define my professional career I've always had a fairly deep belief that I wanted to keep moving in my career and, and didn't want to be defined by one particular thing yeah and it sounds like even as a teen like the academia was really important to you and the using your brain in in that kind of way rather than in the physical I mean in the physical way of sport was also like a really part a part of you yeah yeah I think that's that's spot on because I think from the age of say 25 26 as a cricketer when I'd reached a fairly mature level as a you know first 11 regular I knew what the day-to-day -day of a sportsman was it was it was very well practiced it, it had a life of its own um I needed I needed something more I, I needed some more kind of cerebral stimulation I needed some you know strategic autonomy I needed to feel like I was growing something, building something. I needed a, a, a fresh impetus. And also, around 29, am I right in thinking that's when your family came on the scene as well? Do you think that influenced your...? Uh, yeah, I think, I, I think so. I think so, because, um, 
you know, I think then as a as a as a young father, you start to think, well, you start to naturally look further ahead and think, well, does this career path provide for my family in the way that I want it to? Yeah, I, th- I think naturally as a young father, you do look further ahead, of course. Yeah, because your vision, st- I, th- I think that's one of the things I notice with the clients that I work with as well. And th- I know for me, is that when like life life stages happen, your vision slightly evolves. You know, your your values change and you think, OK, how do I want my life to be? Do I want to be travelling to the Maldives all the time right. <laughs> with my young family? Um, you know, what's what's the kind of thing? How can we fit this all together? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the typical weekly schedule, a monthly schedule, annual schedule of a sportsman, can be quite unpredictable. For me, it was it was very irregular. But then through the off-season, there was quite a lot of downtime. It had its pros and its cons, whereas now, in the corporate world, it's very regular. It's Monday to Friday. It's much more repeatable and structured. For our family, the regularity helps. Kids like routine, don't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do. I know that with yeah. mine. So you decided that you were going to finish this contract and that you had a vision that it was finance and... Did you have a plan? Did you have an opportunity? How did you navigate that pivot point? Well, I guess the background to the situation was that a lot of my peers from Oxford had gone into the traditional sectors. So through my friendships with them, I'd I'd followed their paths and had a a, a certain feel of, of what the potential might be. Yeah, so you had an idea of what, you know, if you were to step into the shoes, what it would be like. Because yeah. a lot of time people think about, oh, maybe I'll do that, but they don't really have a yes. an insight into what's going on. So you had that insight and you could see examples of people doing it. I guess I'd caveat by that by saying that I'd also had nine years of those same friends telling me how lucky I was to be <laughs> flying around the world playing cricket. Yeah, because you could argue you did have a dream job that quite a lot of people would be going, uh, listening to this going, what's he on about? <laughs> how brilliant was it all? You know. And, and those friends were quite right in reminding me that I shouldn't be in any rush. I knew the time was right. I wanted to, as I say, be proactive, leave one industry on my own terms, keeping the the love of that of that pastime, respecting that period in my career. And I also wanted to do it before I was 30. There's something psychological about saying, you know, I'm 29, I'm ambitious, I've done this, and I'm ambitious about the next step. Finance, I was always drawn to. I mean, I hadn't had any financial training. Yeah, so you went from the cricket pitch to the skyscrapers in Canary Wharf, and, you know, you are in finance. And am I right in saying you started doing, like, an internship, a graduate programme or or something? There was a two-week fast track internship for myself and five other people the the big element of transferable skills that i underestimated was that being a sportsman gives you a real appreciation of what it means to have pro, have a process when i was talking about you know, opening the newspaper and having your name and a number next to it the brutality of that objective measurement of performance you can't judge yourselves on those numbers you can't base your self-esteem as a sportsman off what numbers next to your name you do to an extent naturally deeper than that you need to judge how good you feel about the job you're doing by how well you did the things that are within your control am I fit enough what was my preparation like did I analyze the opposition all of these things that you can always control that give you the best chance of that number being the best it can be that's not to say that it might not be a terrible number because there might be something that comes out of the blue totally out of your control, that gives you a suboptimal outcome. Appreciation of judging yourself on on those things, I think, was the big transferable skill to 
financial market. And so how did you apply all of that to, you know, your career at Citigroup, which you, you know, you now, you know, have just pivoted out of there? What was that journey like? Well, I think the first step was to learn what the damn I needed to do, to be honest, because I had no te- no real technical... Because I bet you'd never, you'd never worked in an office. No, 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 no I hadn't, actually. <laughs> you know, were you, were you okay with, like, how it all works and office politics? No, I was, uh, you know, was, I, there's some catching up to do, for sure. And that two-week spell and, and job interview and, and subsequent offer led me into just the typical grad scheme that university graduates were entering into. I was 29, having just retired from professional cricket, sat in a classroom of 30, 20, 21-year-olds who had just come out of, you know, LSE, Oxford, Cambridge, Durham, wherever, and wanting to hit the ground hard. So for me, the first challenge was having to put the ego aside, stepped off one ladder at this level, joined a new ladder at this level, and it's time to climb up again to put my mind to learning all the technical side and and a new world, really, and where I would fit within it, what was driving me to be there. So deciding your path within that. Mm. So where are you now? And then we can kind of go back again. Uh, So now I, as you say, have pivoted out of that organisation and it's an exciting new chapter for me that's about to start, which is essentially combining what I have learnt and built up over the last five years, combining that with the leadership skills and experience of team that I'd built up in my sporting careers. So yeah, this the last five years has been, you know, quite a path. It's been a pretty steep curve. What would you say the the challenges were for you? The first one is definitely say putting that ego aside, having patience with myself to say, look, right, this is a new path. You don't know anywhere near as much as you used to in a different space, but starting to establish a new process. I I guess the next challenge was really starting to appreciate the skills that I'd built up as a sportsman that I didn't realise that I had and how that they they could be applied into a new... This is the classic transferable skills. And people ban that around all the time. But often we don't kind of notice what the skills are that we have that are ingrained in us. Until they become less common, right? So... I think when you're surrounded by people who have similar skills to you because everybody's operating in the same sphere, it's very difficult to identify how good you all are at the things that sport encourage you to to build up. And then all of a sudden you step out of that into a space where, into a group of people that have a lot of strength in skills that you don't have, but they might not have one thing that you have brought at a very high performing level from somewhere else. So, you know, actually getting in there, pulling the sleeves up and, and getting stuck in allows you to appreciate what you've built elsewhere, for yeah. sure. And your superpower that you brought to the to the table really was the, the team performance and the process element and, and being able to, like, look at that in a holistic way, mm. uh, whereas, you know, you didn't necessarily have all the knowledge that everyone else had done at university. No. But combine all of that, I imagine it, that worked out quite well. Yeah, it did. I, mean, I think one of the big differences was if you're a professional sportsman, you're very, very fortunate. Almost without exception, people love what they're doing and they want, you know, they want it to last forever. In a corporate office-based working environment, you naturally get a much bigger variety of motivations. Mm-hmm. Some people who are truly passionate about what they want to do, the elements of their job, and are excited every time the alarm goes off at five o'clock in the morning. But there are other people who 
are just there for the paycheck, don't really want to be there at all, but feel trapped yeah. or feel underappreciated or feel out of, out of depth. Getting to grips with that spectrum of different personal situations was a big kind of eye-opener for me. Yeah, and that's just, that is normal in an office. You yeah. wouldn't get that in a professional sports team because everyone no. is at their peak. Mm. Um, whereas in, in a corporate environment, there are all sorts of different types of people. And so what would you say your high five moments are from your pivot? What are you really proud of? I think the obvious one is getting the job at Citigroup. One would be slightly gradual in, in that it was a period of time kind of dared to let go of a, a position of strength and kind of step into the unknown. You know, ultimately, it's about knowing what drives you, like trying to condense it right back to you know, why, why do I get out of bed in the morning? Like, what is it that I'm curious about, that I'm excited about, that drives me? That's a, it's a simple question, but one that's really, really tough to answer. At these pivot points, from my experience at least, it's usually a very good test of your decision if you think, well... If I didn't do this, how would I feel? And for me, at the age of 29, if I didn't make the change, I would have felt unfulfilled. Mm, so it sounds like each, each of your pivot points is really about you know, new opportunity, personal growth, um, re-checking in with you know, your perfect day and your, uh, how would you like your life to be? And so would you say that that's what's happened with this new change? This, yeah, this next step for me is about the excitement of building something. It, it's probably seen as one of the least creative sectors mm. or industries that there is. And this is a pretty creative challenge that it has facing it now. And, you know, young people coming into the industry want more than just the traditional investment banking apprenticeship where they work, you know, 20 hours a day for two years to get the next rung up the ladder it's it's about purpose it's about collaboration it's about quality of life it's about balance diversity and variety of backgrounds genders races acting positively within a team so culturally we've changed haven't we, we have. you know and, the, and like you're saying the industry has to change with that in order to support new talent and to be sustainable and to provide good service because like, it, it's a even though what I do is ultimately ultimately a trading exercise, I, as a salesperson, are providing a service to clients. You know, why should somebody contact me for my service rather than one of my competitors? And the, the answers to that question are very different now to what they used to be, I think. And so what would the old you say to the new you? Don't be scared of change. Commit to changing earlier if it feels right. Really try to understand why you're doing what you're doing as early as possible. With, without that clarity of why you're doing what you're doing, you don't really have as much as you need to inform, inform your decisions when you come to one of these pivot points. You know, if you really know that your why is to help people find their own directions or something along those lines, then you've got a basis there to inform when you're posed with football or cricket you, you've got um you've got something to refer back to understanding that why i think is something i wish i had got hold of earlier the new the new me would would say to the old me well you know trust that yeah and um for somebody that like might want to get into a kind of job that you're doing today what advice would you give them uh, build a network 
Ask the right questions. Give me an example. Finding the right person to ask honest questions about their motivation, whether their experience met what they expected to receive from the industry or that career path. So find somebody that's doing the job and ask them honest questions. Yeah, or find somebody who considered it and said no. Ask them what they felt about that decision in hindsight. For me, I'm quite a goal-driven person and I'm fairly meticulous about near-term goals as part of a bigger picture. It was time to question why I was doing what I was doing. If you're going through this process from a position of strength, you don't have that unhealthy pressure of having to make a decision with time pressure. Yeah. So rather than leaving it to, it gets to a point where you're like, I really need to leave now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're doing it in a place of... You can get to a stage where you think, I'm ready when the right thing comes up. And I know why. So. This, and this is one of the things that I see with my clients as well when we're working on what's your next step. You know, you're, you can't, you, 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 the, the goals that they thought they wanted are not kind of landing. So it's like, let's strip it back. Let's look at how do you want your life to be? What is important to you? What is driving you? What would be all the factors that would make um, a, a, a role work for you or a kind of business work for you? And once you've done that legwork and got that mapped out, then when the opportunities start coming along, you're like, Oh, okay, that works, or no, it doesn't quite work. And you can you can make a decision from a place of clarity. And I think that when we when we just expect to scroll through LinkedIn and go, okay, that's my job. I'm going to start looking for jobs without doing that pre kind of strategy work on yourself. It can take a very very long time and and be monotonous. And then you ha- you haven't got a criteria for decision making. It's almost like that well spoken situation where you go out to buy a red hatchback. You go away from the forecourt and then all you can see driving round is red hatchbacks. But before that day, you didn't really see any. You didn't or you didn't notice them. But if you've done the groundwork and you said actually. You know, the car that I really want is X, Y, Z. The human mind naturally gets drawn to those opportunities. Yeah, I love that. I use that example myself. I usually talk about shopping for a yellow pair of wellies. But that's why people, I encourage people to create a vision board. You know, yeah. pop on a vision, make a vision board, get a picture of the thing you want. You know, whether that's like a picture of somebody working from home, if you want to work from home, or if you want to... Um, you know, get a book on the Amazon bestseller list, mock that up and put it on a picture on your fridge and then it reminds your brain to spot the opportunities for the thing that you want and and you're guided towards it because our brains can only take so much information in all at once so it naturally filters. But if you give it instructions of what to look for, like I'm looking for a red hatchback or a pair of yellow wellies, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to seek those things out. I think, I guess it's also important to flag that this doesn't have to be about changing organisations, big career moves. These kind of changes can be within the team that you're operating in. So if you've already laid out what you're looking for and what, and what drives you, mm-hmm. that actually helps you make decisions within, you know, the office politics landscape that we're dealing with day to day and you know if you if if your boss presents you with a new task and you think yeah does that doesn't really resonate with me or you know it, it, it doesn't really excite me because and you've got the answers already even if you're keeping them to yourself and allowing you to inform your own decision making or you see a project happening in another team that's interesting to you and then yeah. you can be like oh that fits with my vision let's go and have a chat right. and one of the things i also see with with some people that i'm working with at the moment is 
um, when you do this work around you, what kind of thing are you looking for? What, what, what are your goals? What is your vision? Um, and some people might think that they need to leave their company in order to find that. Um, because that's our natural reaction is go, okay, right, I'm out of here. I'm going to find this somewhere else. But once you do the work around what do I want, then you can spot those opportunities a little bit closer to home and pivots can be more micro than dramatic. For sure. Yeah. And, and sometimes they're just in mindset rather than physical space or, or, or day-to-day role. You know, ultimately, we're doing this to be happy and fulfilled in what we're doing. To get there, you just need to change your mindset slightly. Yeah or the way that you're looking at the road of cars to see more red, red hatchbacks, then that's kind of a positive change as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and those internal mindset pivots are the most powerful. Yeah, we're doing them every day, I guess. Mm. You talked earlier about when you were in the cricket team and you started noticing the numbers, you know, this is my name, that's my result in terms of the game. How, and you said, you know, sometimes you'd look at, have I eaten properly? Have I done enough training? How do you manage your kind of performance, I suppose, to, now you're not a professional sportsman. How do you keep on form? And like, when do you notice that you're not? Yeah, it's a good question because I think in sport, there are so many more metrics of performance than there are in other spheres and and, you know I think part of the opportunity that I'm just about to step into is the autonomy to 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 build a team that looks at the way that it measures itself in a slightly different way you know how do we want to measure what is successful to us and how frequently do do we want to do it do we want to be getting to the end of every day and saying how good a day was that for us as a team and what metrics are we going to use to measure that i mean that that if you ask that to a hundred different teams you'd probably get a hundred different answers with some overlap obviously of the metrics involved so for me i guess one connection between the two industries that i've moved between is big data and there's so much data in sport performance analysis and even more in in financial analysis so all the numbers are there it's just how you want to slice them I have my own ways of, of, of looking at my day and how efficiently I feel I'm spending my time. Do you do like a list in the morning? Like what's your, what are your hacks for like being productive? I have a feeling you get up early and do some exercise before you go to work. Yeah, yeah. So the, the alarm goes off at five. So you're part of the 5am club then? I, I am, unfortunately. And I'm not proud of it, but it's a, job, it's a necessity of the job. And, and yeah, you know, I think doing... Doing exercise early in the day is definitely a positive, a positive thing to do, however small. You know, it can be five or ten minutes, very positive for the mind and, and the body. You know, for, for me, I am quite structured in the way that I go about my business. I do love a to-do list. You know, I love that kind of, I don't know, whatever. Do you write it or do you type it? I'm obsessed with this, like finding out people's productivity hacks. I write it because I feel that I've always been a big note taker and I because I feel that I get clarity of mind through writing things and I, I feel like I can always go back and, and get a sense of what I was thinking at that time. And I think there's something about the pen and paper as well, like yeah. actually like seeing it come out and that movement of the arm. And It's a mirror to how you're, to how you're feeling at that time and, and I think you become very aware of how motivated you are and how keen you are to get something down on paper and how something feels when you're writing it. I think it's a really good self-awareness tool to write because I don't get I don't get the same 
feedback if I'm scribbling a to-do list on my on my iPhone. So you like a bit of exercise, you've got a to-do list. What what would be one more thing that you say that you you know is part of your essential to perform? I think you've got to be honest with yourself and you, you have to... Con- For me, I, I think that honesty comes through in, in constant assessment of how you're doing. Even if it's hour by hour, day by day, having an idea of where you're heading, even if it's over a morning or a day or a week, and being honest with that mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, actually the path was wrong. I found a new path and I want to head this way. Just Even just having that internal dialogue, not being too intense and too... Not beating yourself up, but like... I suppose that's... The, I, it's, I, I kind of see that as, you know, it's regularly check in and go, how's this going? What's the data? What's the feedback I'm feeling internally? What's the results I'm seeing externally? Like, what's actually happening? Yeah. Um, am I happy with this? Or yeah. can I make a tweak? Self-regulating. It's not, it's not about criticism. It's about where did I want to head? What answers was I looking to seek? Have I found them? Why haven't I found them? Where do I need to head next? You know, that type of... Yeah. And it's good for mental health. You know, it's whether you're at work or at home, I want to rest today. I'm going to spend the day in bed. I haven't seen that movie for six months. I'm going to watch it because I think it'll make me feel better. And then, you know, checking in and say, oh, I do feel a lot better. I'm going to do it again. Yeah, it did. That was good. Yeah, I'm like that with my swimming. I'm like, if I don't have the swim, you know, and even if I just, you know, just put my head under the water and <laughs> pretend I'm a turtle, um, it feels good. I, feel I, know, um, I know you better now. <laughs> thanks for those tips. So what would you say the formula is for making a pivot? Understand your why. Ask the right questions. Be brave to make a change. Thank you. And so where can we find you? Are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. I guess that's probably the limits of my, um, of my online reach. Beautiful. <laughs> we'll find you there. Well, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your pivot story. What, um, what a journey that you've been on. And I really wish you all the best in your new role and um, what that's going to bring. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Joe. been listening to the slip pivot sessions with me liz ward the podcast for life's achievers and believers i hope you've enjoyed listening as much as i've enjoyed talking please take a moment to rate and review us on apple or google or wherever you get your podcasts this helps us grow and continue to bring you amazing guests the show notes have all the links and references from today's session and for your weekly dose of pivot inspiration sign up for slip pivot sunday my weekly newsletter visit slickpivot.com. Until our next session together, stay nimble and remember, no pivot is ever slick.